0: dental listener and welcome to michael and ethan in a room with scotch i'm your host michael lilienthal and this is my guest michael oh i mean ethan bartlett sorry we're just so similar hi
1: i'm michael (laughs) yep well listen we are both blonde Mm -hmm. and of you know germanic and scandinavian descent Uh uh-huh we both have beards right we're both wearing glasses true I think you could probably pass as my double in a pretend murder where we both get rich through insurance fraud.
0: Wait, if there's a murder involved, how would we both get rich?
1: Uh, I did say pretend murder. Oh, okay. It's my pretend murder, so I don't actually get murdered. But someone does. (laughs) Uh, Don't worry about it. Just (laughs) meet me back here in six months and discuss it further and also i'll give you
2: money oh
0: money okay okay this you know all right sounds sounds good to me yeah um yeah all right well we're gonna drink some scotch but then we're not gonna talk about it and we are going to continue drinking this bottle of lafroy isla single malt scotch whiskey aged 10 years And now we need to know the rules of engagement, the contract, so to speak, uh, for this podcast. So bring your attorney in here, your wife.
1: You just said a lot of words and only (laughs) some of them made sense. But I mean, here's Karen with a sheaf of papers, so...
2: Rule 1. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule 2. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, First paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses.
1: And what happens if someone breaks the rules?
2: If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone drink responsibly.
1: Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. listener. Well, thanks, Karen. Very
0: good. And with that,
1: Schlank. Nothing my wife said is legally binding.
0: If you haven't guessed by now, gentle listener, we are going to be concluding our discussion on the book Despair by Vladimir Nabokov.
1: I mean, it's right there in the title it is
0: it is right there in the title um you know everything just by looking at the title why do you even need to listen
1: well no i'm just saying like they probably did guess because it was right there in the title oh it okay. said part two and everything it yeah it does mm-hmm. Yep. Mhm. i thought i'd try a different take on that joke that we do in every part two right and i don't know it's ended up pretty much being the same joke
0: it, it, yeah I mean they're similar enough they wind up being the same. Yeah, so they could probably pass, murder pass each, for each other. And... They could pretend murder in <laughs> yeah. which they both get rich. <laughs> um, <laughs> good. Good. Um yeah. Uh I want to kick off here Ethan. Ow. Why oh, would you sorry. kick me? Sorry. I needed to illustrate my point. Um <laughs> well, it's a fair cop. Uh, I, I mentioned last time that uh, Novokov has a, a, a intense, an intense relationship with literature. With what now? Literature. Okay, very good. And uh, books and authors and things, um, which is what literature means. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, in fairness, um, I, I made like I didn't hear what you said, so like you were just... Explaining. I was explaining. Helping helping me. Yeah.
0: Well, there are a couple places in here that the narrator mentions a number of authors and books and things. Sure. Uh, uh, There's one in particular that I thought was rather interesting, and that comes uh, crossing between pages 121 and 122. Um, He addresses Arthur Conan Doyle directly. He says, the last paragraph of page 121, let us discuss crime, crime as an art, and card tricks. I am greatly worked up just at present, which gets back to the text being, highlighting itself. Right. Uh, Oh, Conan Doyle, how marvelously you could have crowned your creation when your two heroes began boring (laughs) you. What an opportunity, what a subject you missed, for you could have written one last tale concluding the whole Sherlock Holmes epic. One last episode, beautifully setting off the rest. The murderer in that tale should have turned out not to be not the one-legged bookkeeper, not the Chinaman gang, and not the woman in crimson, but the very chronicler of the crime stories, Dr. Watson himself. Watson, who, so to speak, knew what was what-son. A staggering surprise for the reader. But what are they, Doyle, Dostoevsky, LeBlanc, Wallace? What are all the great novelists who wrote of nimble criminals? Blah, 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 blah. There's he. He's talking about other other authors and things. Um, so what occurred to me at that point where he addresses Conan Doyle and says, Watson should have been the murderer in the last Sherlock Holmes adventure. Yeah. Uh, reminded me of Agatha Christie. Spoilers for some Agatha Christie. <laughs> Or anyone who doesn't want to hear these spoilers, skip ahead a couple minutes, maybe. Um, do you mind if I ruin an Agatha
1: Christie book? Do you know no. which Agatha Christie I'm talking
0: about?
1: Uh, not positively, but chances okay. are that I've read it.
0: Okay. Uh, it's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, hmm. in which the narrator, who is a physician... Is the murderer. <laughs> uh, and he is the one who winds up helping the detective uh, Poro when he comes to town to, to investigate and everything. Uh, he essentially turns into the Watson to Poro, and I think Poro says something to that effect that he is Watson. And so it was a deliberate uh, thing on Agatha Christie's part to do exactly this, what Dostoe- uh, Dostoevsky, what Nabokov is saying here, right. not Nabokov, but uh, uh, Herman, that. Herman. Uh, um, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Conan Doyle should have had Watson be the murderer in a Sherlock Holmes adventure and Agatha Christie essentially effectively did that with murder of Roger Ackroyd right. right turning the narrator into the murderer the problem with that for this and what um the, this idea of art and card tricks uh and and crime uh being art in that way uh, is that um we know who done it, right? In this book, right? Uh, it's not a mystery novel, um, which might be him just saying I could have done it better. Uh, if I were writing a mystery novel, I could have done better than Conan Doyle.
1: Sure. I mean, there's a little bit. There's a little bit of a skullduggery regarding even how he sort of phrases these things because uh, um. I guess I guess he he specifically says one last tale the murderer in the tale is is Watson but like many of Sherlock Holmes stories don't f- center around who the murderer is. Right. Um it's a little bit like and this is not something I'd accuse Nabokov of maybe Herman um a little bit like someone who'd heard of Sherlock Holmes but hadn't read him. Uh-huh um brag, bragging and and saying he could have done it better even without reading him maybe mm-hmm. um my my other thought when i read this passage other than like what a great story i would read that uh is uh what was more or less that this is part of hermans confession that mm. or or even his self positioning that he's saying that this story is what would happen if holmes had Uh done or if if uh if you know this is this is his description of his own story Mm -hmm. that this is a this is a mystery novel as written by the by the villain by the murderer or by the uh right um the criminal Hmm. um do you want to know my theory about this novel (laughs) is this a good one a real one this is yeah this is as much like playing the game this is as much as i could get to on a first read Uh um i think that the whole insurance fraud thing was misdirection Mm -hmm. and that um this is a story about herman framing his wife Mm. and trying to get her um tortured if not executed or or you know imprisoned for things she didn't do that basically Mm -hmm. this is a revenge story because um his wife is cheating on him and Mm -hmm. uh the the whole thing is a setup with her as the target great uh i want to pick
0: that apart just a little bit not saying i disagree not saying i agree here but there are a couple things you said in there that i want to i want to pick at Sure. Um, Why do you think she's cheating on him?
1: Um, That's like... And this is just straight up something I usually don't like doing in um, books other than this one. Is to straight up just say that something that's consistently said is true is just a lie. And that's the only evidence I have for that. Um, But I think if it's going to work in any book, it's going to work in this one. Because every time... That oh shoot! I had it. I had the book open on the page I was going to refer to. And oh, then and then you I flipped it. Just flipped it for no reason. Um, every time throughout uh, uh, the every time throughout the narrative that he refers to his relationship with his wife, he always flat out says that. Um, their relationship is great that they are Uh happily married um yes the implication is they have a lot of sex though you never see that on the you know on the page um the uh uh you know like the one time that he implies that their their marriage is anything less than happy to almost a rapturous degree is when he's talking to Orlovius Orlovius yes um and Orlovius you know he he lets he heavily implies and then lets Orlovius think that uh his his wife is cheating on him and he knows and Orlovius seems like he you know
0: like oh yeah that makes sense yeah he he, oh.
1: so he, he basically says like oh well I I could I didn't want to say anything because I didn't yep. know it was my place but yeah I knew mm-hmm. um but, even in that instance, uh, Herman sp- sp- spends almost, I want to say, several pages shortly after that scene, just tearing Orlovius apart, saying he's a, you know, mm-hmm. he's a uh, decrepit old man, he's a busybody, he, you know, he's one of these people who, like, thinks that they know
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: stuff or thinks that they have insight and absolutely do not. Like, you know, it's it's quite clear that even within that, what Herman wants us to think is that this was a a lie that he told Erlovius that would have been obvious to anyone who wasn't an, an right. idiot. Right. And to me, the amount of all of that is very suspicious. Yeah. Um like the because like when something is true quite often in a in a narrative, you know, in, in an extended discourse Um, it will take on like permutations and even borderline self-contradictions. Um, you know, any, any time, like if you're, if you're talking to my experience, anyway, if you're talking to any married couple who has been happily married for uh, any number of years, any Mm. number of years, certainly greater than like two, if they were to, you know, talk about their spouse at length, Mm -hmm. um, there would be times in the narrative when you'd be, when they'd be talking about like their spouse drives them crazy or <laughs> things that they do and it's like you'd get borderline self-contradictions that's just how how narratives like that work, work and how relationships mm-hmm. like that work the fact that he's always so um it's like he's reading from a script mm-hmm. like it a script he wrote himself but it's it's like he's saying the same thing the same way and mm-hmm. it co- starts to come off very sort of stilted or, or scripted yeah. um so that's thing one thing two is that she's clearly having an affair with our Ar- our <laughs> um mm. like there's one point in which Ardalian and the wife have like gone off together and they come in and they like her hair is like yep. must and and his clothes are he's straightening out his clothes or something um and that's not to mention like when he sends ardalion off to italy and she basically like pretty transparently but tries to manipulate him into not no into sending her or sending her also yeah you know exactly the thing you do if you were having an affair with someone and you right. wanted your inconvenient spouse out of the way, she's, you know.
0: she's got that little riddle too, where it's like, my first part is uh, a word for love or something. And my second part is a beast. And my whole is a beast also. Yeah. yeah and the, yeah. The, 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 it's ardor and lion and ardalian Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And no, like, the, that description right there. And like, she's positioned all flirty and stuff when she yeah. does that too. It's, it's just like, Come on, man.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's so obvious, and it's like, and we haven't even given probably half of the instances you no, could. No, and it's like every time it comes up, every time like Lydia, the wife, or mm-hmm. Ardalian are like mentioned in any connection, there's like something in the mentioning that you could use to say, mm-hmm. yeah, they're having an affair, and um, because. Uh, uh, Herman makes the um, this such a scripted oh Lydia and I were very happy and mm-hmm. takes every single opportunity when he's supposed to be this like subtle you know mm-hmm. subtle thinker genius um, because of those two things like cl- it seems very clear to me that something else is going on yeah um, the third thing that, the third sort of linchpin for me about why it seems like he's setting her up mm. has does have to do with a narrative trope and um this might seem borderline self-contradictory to things i said last episode <laughs> but uh again like i said that's how you know it's true um the, he lays out for lydia the entire plan before the mm-hmm. plan is executed on a page and like everyone who's ever taken a screenwriting course or uh you know how to write popular fiction course knows that the only reason you have the entire Uh plan uh the way it's supposed to work the only reason you lay that out um before like it actually happens is that the plan is going to go wrong right because if the if one hundred percent if you lay that out and then it, everything happens, you're just everything happens the way you said. You're just repeating yourself, mm-hmm. and there's no like no reason to do that. Yeah, there's no reason to do that, and it's not interesting, right? it's, yep. it's boring, it's repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to have like someone come up with a perfect plan and it succeed, you're much more likely to sort of do like the Ocean's Eleven thing where you're intercutting. You know, the, the scene where they lay it out with the actual with execution yeah. or you're only going to hear part of the plan mm-hmm. and then the second part of the plan subverts the part that you see, you know, anything like that. So the fact that um, the, the narrator is so aware of art and, and construction and making mm-hmm. and fictive tropes um, and that he lets that entire plan spill onto the page to me, is a clear indication that that is not the plan he actually meant to sure. execute. Um, and the the whole like so if that's if that's not the case, then again like what is happening on the page there? Mm-hmm. The only reason to do that is to make Lydia behave in a certain way, as yeah. if she thinks that this plan is is going to uh, uh, Go succeed. And yeah, and the point of the scene, the, even the point of laying that out for her. Becomes not that it's a good plan or that it's what he's going to do in the future. Mm-hmm. It becomes about convincing her that it's a it's a valid and good plan. Right. Um, and I believe even at some point, either he or someone he quotes or maybe maybe it's in one of the, like the newspaper mm. clippings or, or something that he quotes where it's like, yeah, this plan was super obvious and bad. uh uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> um, which, if, if that's true, you know, you're left with two possibilities. Either either the narrator is self-deceiving and is not as mm-hmm. smart as he thinks he is, or this mm-hmm. plan was always meant to be super obvious and bad because it's in the service of something else. That's a, a
0: super interesting question, um, and I might want to investigate that a little more. But before we get off this, you know, the wife is having an affair thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do think she is right at the center of this entire narrative. It's it's really all about her. And part of my reason for thinking that is I want to go into the segment of Names with Michael. Okay. Um, and I want to issue a caveat on this a little bit here, that uh, this book was written in Russian at first and then translated into English. However, Nabokov, I think, had a hand in the translation and is also fluent in English. So... He could have swayed the names this way, but names are harder to, to adjust that way. But yeah. some of the names uh, are going to have to do with more uh, allusion, and that's why they uh, ha- have matter. And some are more to do with um, homophones, <laughs> um, Yeah, which in English makes sense, but possibly not otherwise. Starting with the, the, the narrator's name of Herman is a homophone in English for her man. So his, his definition by that name is her sure uh he belongs entirely to her and that's that's it um uh, so there's that i talked about uh ardalion a little bit and already uh with with her pun for for him a little bit that turns him essentially effectively literally into just her lover that's sure what his name means is is he's her lover um then you look at lydia
1: wait did you just say this the the fact that there's ardor in that name yeah mm-hmm, yeah,
0: yeah. Yep, yep um so then then Lydia means um, beautiful just the beautiful one mm. um which sets up this like ideal woman type here like here's Lydia she's the the, the beautiful one
1: um and that's a biblical name too right?
0: yes it is a biblical name
1: so like when you're when you're talking about names across translations mm-hmm. sometimes biblical names actually have like a, a weight and a retention to their oh yeah their symbolism because it's just like y- you translate for in the original what whatever the biblical referent is in the original text you just mm-hmm. translate into that in the in the you know translated right. language so
0: right um, I'm saying
1: this works either way I think in, in Russian or in English yeah. I guess.
0: yeah yeah um, definitely. Uh, it, it, would carry extra weight across there. And similarly is are names from mythology. Yes. Uh, and I want to look, this isn't a main character name, but it's, it's thrown in here and you can't ignore it. Page 47. I'm going to read a lot of this page. uh, <laughs> uh this is before he met Lydia says, at 16, while still at school, here's some of his, his background information, while still at school, I began to visit more regularly than before a pleasantly informal body house. After sampling all seven, virl- seven girls, I concentrated my affection on roly Polly polymnia, with whom I used to drink lots of foamy beer at a wet table in an orchard. I simply adore orchards. Um, do you know the name polymnia?
1: I vaguely, but not... No, not basically no.
0: Polymnia is one of the nine muses. Oh. Um, and which muse, uh, it, you can get a little bit from the, the, the Greek itself, but it comes down. Um, well, here we get his first meeting of Lydia. I'm going to get back to that uh, there. Um, so he sampled all seven girls and then concentrated on Polymnia. So either oh. Polymnia is the seventh or the eighth. And then there's one muse missing. Right. And then we get two paragraphs later. I first met Lydia, his wife, oh, in duh. Moscow. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so here we go. The ninth, the perfect, the final one. Uh, even though that's not one of the names of the muses, that doesn't really um, matter. Um, th- uh, we go on here uh, through that until we get to his little poem piece here. Bold and scoffing, but inwardly tortured. Oh, my soul, will your torch not ignite? From the porch of your God and his orchard, why take off for the earth and the night? Um, orchards, again, uh, are listed there in that, that little verse. Um, and the this idea of a torch the, at the porch of a God um, in his orchard. So you've got this idea of the Vestal Virgins type yeah. of thing, um, <laughs> which I should have checked for sure. But was Lydia um, a Greek... Uh, um like temple virgin or something before converting to christianity i can't remember yeah i think there was right. someone like that anyway but yeah. that's so well lydia is a greek name right lydia is a greek name um but then okay here after after reciting that in the text he says my own my own my juvenile experiments in the senseless sounds i love hymns inspired by my beery mistress so who is polymnia the muse of, or what is hy- polymnia the muse of Religious music. Oh, sure. Um, So he knows what he's doing. Um, There's also a a mention in here um, that uh, he lived with someone while in Moscow uh, who was by profession a teacher of Latin.
2: Mm. He's
0: dropping all these hints in here that he knows exactly what he's talking about with these muses and hymns and Lydia is now the ninth his obsession. Mm. Um, and that comes from, yeah, that, that, there's that name of, uh, Polymnium. Mm. But, uh, that, so that's maybe as far as I want to get with, uh, names with Michael. I didn't have any, sure. Oh, uh, Felix, um, means the happy one. Right. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it, he wants to become Felix. Right. In a way <laughs> that's, uh, kind of the, the conceit, the concept behind this, uh, this double idea uh and um chapter 10 begins with him writing from the perspective of felix being felix he's pursuing this happiness Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. what he wants to be uh whatever that happiness is and it's embodied in felix and in some way even as he insults him and belittles him uh there's there's something to felix whether it's a freedom um the ability to get anywhere if only he had the intellect to do it (laughs) right um that's what he wants. That's what he's going for. Right, right. So that's the the names with Michael segment there. I, there was something else I think I wanted to say about um, that whole point of framing his wife. Um, I've lost it now, though. Ugh. I can't remember. But I think that's that's a just a fascinating perspective on this that it is all about his oh oh here's here's something that I wanted to say about that and it's more broad about um uh, Nabokov himself um there have been books written uh, on essays uh, on Nabokov's women Mm. uh the the female characters uh you can see how that might be an interesting topic of study even just uh from Lolita Um, but here too, uh, and like in a lot of cases, his women, his female characters are tortured, um, and martyred, uh, and, um, if, if they die, it's because a man caused their death either directly or indirectly. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they live these tormented lives and they're, they're, um, not, they're not, however, just worthy of pity. Because they have some depth to them. Uh, Lolita herself, uh, who's Dolores, um, she is changed, not changed, she's victimized by Humbert Humbert throughout the entire book. She's abused uh, constantly. But still you see throughout that she's crafting a way to escape from him. Right. She does eventually make that escape some way or other, and that's... um, a matter of, of scholarly debate that maybe I want to touch on just a touch because I think it does add uh, a little bit to this book too. Um, and then she, she succeeds. She gets into a, a happy life um, before she winds up dying um, outside of the, the text of it, the book itself. It's in the foreword that you learn that she dies. Um, but uh, she, she succeeds. She's got that triumph there. And right. that's something that Nabokov does with his, his female characters. They're not just victims. They're not just objects of pity. They're not just trampled on by villains. Um, They have agency. They have depth. They have power. They have some of their own triumphs. And I think we can see that in Lydia here as well. Mm. Um, I'll just mention a little bit of that debate about uh, Lolita's escape from Humbert. uh, That in the book, nominally, what Humbert says is she escapes with this character called Claire Quilty right the debate is does claire quilty exist right um because if you look at the timeline of the book a lot of this uh this theory that he doesn't exist hinges on the fact that there are three days missing in the text of the book and if those three days are missing it can't be that claire quilty was there at that time to pick her up
2: Hmm.
0: and take her out and so how did she escape and um Humbert Humbert can't let it be that she just got up and left. <laughs> um, he has to have someone equal to himself, but worse so that he can martyr himself or um, be play a bit of a hero by taking him out, which is what he, he claims to do in the novel. So there's that there. These three days missing. Then um, there are numerous people who will say that was just a typo. That was just an accident that those three days are missing because um, uh, Nabokov's... Um, biographer said that he just didn't pay that close attention to timelines <laughs> sure. uh, when he wrote. Uh, but then uh, there's also the side of the, the debate that points to the fact that when Lolita was translated into Russian, Nabokov had a hand in it was very um, uh, on hand with that. Uh, and he not only kept the error in, but made it m- more highlighted in mm-hmm. the Russian text Sure, that these three days were missing. Uh, and just just the f- say- saying that fact that he didn't pay that close attention to timelines when he was writing, to write such convincing unreliable narrators. Yeah, I don't know that that's true.
1: Yeah, it, that feel well, and just just even the the attention to detail in his prose and and other things, mm-hmm. you know, just on a sentence level, like it doesn't feel like the the Nabokov that I've read. Yeah, you know. I, yeah, it. He seems like he's paying
0: such close attention. Yeah, like a details. novelist
1: doing what Nabokov does is is functionally is being a control freak, and it's like yeah, you, even you know that's not to say they were in in real life or in any other setting than their novels, but like you have such control and such mm-hmm. precision in everything that you're doing um, when you're creating narratives like despair, like Lolita, that yeah, it doesn't. It feels pretty questionable to me, yeah, to say that that he wouldn't pay attention to timelines or to to literally any given text that makes it into right. the body of the novel.
0: Right now, would his narrators not pay attention to timelines? Sure, sure. Um, yeah. and I think that's that's drawn out by Herman a lot more explicitly than Humbert uh, ever does. That um, he'll write things and um, you say how. How, why am i doing why am i writing this way why is it coming out this way like right. the writing itself is outside of his control and then he'll say did it really happen this way am i misremembering right which that itself just by calling attention to the fact that he might be misremembering from such an unreliable narrator could just be you no, know, he's just doing this on purpose to confuse the reader <laughs> right right um and he's drawing it out that way i don't know um yeah, I don't know. Uh do you have any more about that that theory um about setting up his wife?
1: No, I just think that, you know, I thought of it uh I think I thought of it while reading that um uh that long explanation about, you know, how yeah, the uh, about the the perfect crime and the insurance fraud and um Mhm. You know, I I thought of it during that scene because I was like, no, this, A, this crime doesn't make sense. And B, he's not going to tell us, the reader, all of this instead Mm -hmm. of letting us work it out if this is what he's meaning to do. And then going forward from that part, reading the rest of the book with that idea in mind, like, everything lined up. Yeah, sure. If if every time he said, oh, no, Lydia suffered for this, if I read that as him lying or... Mm -hmm um you know read the the newspaper accounts the other stuff that he quotes as him you know lying like or right like it, it just all ever all the it all lined up nothing failed to make sense reading it from mm-hmm. that from that angle and that's obviously not hard proof of anything but no it certainly uh you know it does make sense though yeah
0: yeah uh and that's we see a little bit of that, uh, how he's more or less disgusted by his wife. Yeah. Um, in various places. And when you talk about, you know, how he, he, he more than implies he brags about how much sex they have. Right. Um, but it's such a weird set of, uh, of pages that he describes this because he's describing having an out of body, body experience. Oh, that's right. And then it's less about, uh, being with his wife and it's more about, being away he's backing away he's trying to get as far away as possible right um which is framed as like an intellectual exercise that he has this power over his perceptions and uh and his powers of observation uh and and such um and even doubling that he's doubling himself there already right that so that's that's thematically there but he's trying to get away and then he realizes oh i'm I'm so far away. I wasn't even ever there. Right. Um, so, cause she at one, like he's, he's talks about it as though they're, they're having their sex and whatnot. And then he, he hears his wife, are you coming to bed? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, it's like, Oh yeah, I guess none of that ever happened, which he, he does that sort of thing again in, in chapter 10 where, uh, he starts framing it as though, you know, it was all, um, a success Lydia came and joined everything worked out just as planned which is just a beautiful way to frame that like like you say yeah. the, as he's laid out this whole plan we should expect it to go wrong yeah but then here he starts saying it worked out everything went perfectly but then he says uh, dreams, dreams, and rather trite ones at, at that. Who right. cares anyway? Let's return to our tale.
1: Like that's that's what would have happened that's what if this were would have happened written right? by an actual pulp novelist or something. Right, right. Because in, in a sense, you expect him to succeed because he's set up this expectation that he's the, mm-hmm. you know criminal mastermind or whatever.
0: He's done this perfect crime and managed to uh, to accomplish it. Yeah, yeah. So you'd, you'd expect him to expect that. Um, but yeah, so he he does that device. Um, and so with that, that doubling too, you know, it's, it's less about, um, getting some insurance money because he had himself admits that, you know, I didn't even have that motive early on, right? which I should say too, he makes a mention at one point of, uh, the fact that he doesn't read back over his texts. Right. Uh, he just writes and doesn't, doesn't read it over again. So to have that fact there that he never included that well he's got to have a pretty good memory for what he's already written right but he's also admitting in several places that his memory is not that great that his memory plays tricks on him um so you really 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 can't believe him yeah um and as he is uh drawing that out um well, he, he does eventually get to a point, too, where he says he did reread it uh, up to chapter 10 or something. Uh, he, he just gets this motive to read it, and then he adds chapter 11 after rereading. Right. Um, so not, it, it, that part doesn't contradict his earlier statement that he just wasn't going to reread. It's yeah. just that he decided now, which, again, calls attention to the narrative itself. Um. However... Yeah. Do you have more that more,
1: you wanted to... No, no. Go on from. Um, yeah. The the thing is, like, one question I did want to ask before, yeah, uh, before we ended here, has directly to do with us, which is, at some point, he says something about like, I forget exactly how it's phrased, but it's to the effect that like, oh, I'm not going to tell you who I am. I could be any of, you know, any man who in a certain part of Europe who is come from a mysterious past and is in hiding or something uh-huh. like that. He basically implies that, like, this is a narrative that he's, like, launching into the void or or back sort of the way that he came, but with no one ever the wiser to who he is or, like, no one's going to be able to get him through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's the sort of pronouncement that in a lot of, like, Again, like, pulpier versions of this novel Mm -hmm. would just be to say, like, this is the memoirs of, uh, you know, Moriarty after he retired. Or or something where it's like, you know, oh, I've ensured that, like, people will be able to uh, recognize what's going on here without um, uh, me, you know, getting caught for it. Um, but, you know, that's certainly hard to square with the end of the novel, especially (laughs) if you don't believe that his ruse with the cops is going to work. Um, but it's not hard to square if you view it as like a toss off thing that he wrote at some point thinking that this is how it would conclude. And then it, it just doesn't after that point in both the creation of the story and in the story itself.
0: Can I add another reason why that isn't going to work in the end? Yeah. Um, it's from his own admission. Uh, we noticed earlier how he claims to be such a stupendous writer. Yeah, he claim he's a he's a, narciss- a narcissist. Yes, uh, he even has a narcissist moment of looking at his per- reflection. Right. Um, besides all this double stuff um, that's going on and is related to narcissists so like it, he like it, it's one thing to write a narcissistic character. Right nabokov has written narcissus right (laughs) um but uh so you've got that he's he's claims to be so good at so many things do you have all these opinions about art i'm gonna get to the art thing next that's my next point um but uh do you know what he claims to be not good at what oratory (laughs) yes He claims very explicitly that he's no orator. He can't give a speech. But how is he trying to get out of getting caught at the end? How about opening the window and making a little speech? Right. No, it's not going to work. It doesn't work. Uh, He claims it's not going to work. Um, And so here, yeah, it's... um, he, He doubles back on himself all over the place. And if... Again, going back to that question of Novokov having that attention to detail, um, not just timelines, but any any detail whatsoever, he, of course, has attention to it. You can't have good, deceptive characters without paying attention to those details. Like, yeah. You have to know where and how your na- your characters and your narrator are lying.
1: Well, and, if, and that may be part of... In you order know, to craft them well. Right. And that may be part of why... Uh... Uh, Nabokov writes that sentence from the forward that I quoted earlier. We leave Herman there at the ludicrous height of his discomfiture. Right. Um, which, to me, reveals a certain derision for this character. Like, to me, it, it tells me everything I need to know about how Nabokov conceptualizes uh-huh. this character, which is not as a Moriarty or a criminal mastermind, mm-hmm. um, but as a, an absurdist a fool. A, Absurdist fool, yeah. Yeah. Um, which that said, and and in keeping with your your Narcissus remark, uh-huh. um, that's the one other question I wanted to ask you. Yes. uh, in this time was, uh, so Marshall McLuhan, who is is you know one of my formative intellectual influences, uh, he always said, and he might he might have been quoting someone else, but you know I I knew it from McLuhan, uh, that Narcissus uh didn't die or didn't didn't suffer his tragic end by falling in love with his own face in a glass he suffered because he didn't recognize his own face in a glass hmm. and fell in love with it mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, yes
1: and with that connection i want i want your take on does at any or all points does herman realize that his double is not his double yeah that's um because in the text of the narrative it becomes quite clear that this is not or the, the this he is not as much of a double as herman makes him out to be oh, sure. in the narrative but is there a point yeah. where herman realizes this and is that part of his if we accept the my his he's framing his wife theory uh-huh. is it part of that or um, could be does he never realize it and we have to take the data of the novel d- in, into account with that in mind um that's I th- yes <laughs> <laughs> um
0: I, I i you know this narcissus point i think i could have brought up earlier too because the myth of narcissus which this book i think the more I think about it is almost deliberately framing. Absolutely. um, Is Narcissus was cursed with love at his own reflection um, so that he would shun a a woman. I can't remember who.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that's what's going on here. Herman essentially falls in love with the idea of his double, his reflection, um, in order to get rid of his wife. Right, Like, that's the point. It's a (laughs) self-curse.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and yeah, that's I a think... very
1: 20th century move, right? Oh, to, yeah. To Replace take the gods God out of it and, with self. and, and, and make oh, and he, it a self I
0: mean, he's, he's a, 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 an explicit atheist, too. Herman is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times did he say there's no God and, like, go out of his way to say, I prayed to God with who doesn't exist. Right. Let me just clarify that for you really quick. Again, I want you to know, I don't believe in God. Yeah. (laughs) It's, you know, me thinks he does protest too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, so that, that, that just keys into this idea that, okay, so is it, does he think that Felix actually resembles him? Uh, Does he realize at all ever the whole time that he doesn't? Um, I, I think it's immaterial for Herman. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he needs him to resemble him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and
0: yeah. so he does. Sure, uh, and that's
1: and that yeah, and that could could feed into sort of a either or or a both and yeah. of the idea of of framing his wife. Um, because if if all he needs is for his wife to believe that this is a double of him, then it right. almost doesn't matter how. Like him he looks, but some of that is contradicted by some of the raptures that he yeah. goes into completely apart from, you know, speaking to his wife yeah, about the the doubling and the glorious nature of having found a double. Mm-hmm. Unless you interpret that as just like gloating or oh, yeah. or otherwise self aggrandizing yeah. about um <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, popcorn. The gentle listener will, uh, will.
0: Mama gave you popcorn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: so happy. This is the uh, the guest appearance of of Michael and and Sarah's uh, child, um, mm-hmm. who is quite yeah quite welcome on this uh, on this show as he eats his popcorn. Yep, very good. Uh, I, I want to talk
0: just a little bit in the sense of doubles yes in in here that that like taps into a, like a subgenre that transcends genres like it's right. in sci-fi it's in classic literature. You've got the Prince and the Pauper with Mark Twain right. Um, you've got uh, well uh, on page 201 this this is gonna kind of tie in with Novokov's relationship with other authors and art in right. general which like, it's one of those interesting things that, you know, Her- Nabokov is not his protagonist, right. but Herman has the same disdain for other authors of his time that Nabokov had for other authors of uh-huh. his time. Sure. Um, like, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald to Nabokov was simply trash. Sure. Uh, he just threw him out. Like, and several others, just trash. Um, so, one of the doubles here, page 201... Uh, this is where he realizes that he didn't put a title on the book, and so, sure. all right, what 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 was it going to be? Memoirs of a of a what? I could not remember. In any way, memoirs seemed dreadfully dull and commonplace. What should I call my book then? The Double? But Russian literature possessed one already. Is you...
1: Tolstoy? No, Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Yeah.
0: Crime and Pun, based
1: yeah. on. Uh, that's Tolstoy. Dostoevsky. No, okay. Do you know what Nabokov thought of Dostoevsky? I have a feeling it was uh, very little.
0: Trash
1: <laughs> is what Partly, he thought of Dostoevsky. <laughs> and again, I'm, you know, not to fall into the the thing that he hated of uh, conflating his characters with, with Nabokov himself. But um, the amount of times that he just talks about, like, classic pulpy crime novelist and Mm -hmm. mentions Dostoevsky in this text alone. Right. You know, certainly, certainly, uh, if it doesn't, if it's not causation, it's correlation. Right. Waggling its, its eyebrows and pointing its finger in a certain direction.
0: Just with this text alone, um... You could see Dostoevsky being Nabokov's Ardalian. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, okay, so then he goes on to a few other uh, titles. I don't think they matter quite as much. You've got The Mirror, which you can see those themes in here. Um, portrait, of, portrait of the Artist in a Mirror.
1: Which, of course, uh, calls out to James Joyce's yes. Portrait of the Artist as a, young, as a man. young Man. And that's an interesting connection, not so much... Um, in in the sense that Stephen Dedalus, the the hero of Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, mm. is very much a young Joyce, and oh sure, um, I I could be wrong, and you know all of the Joyce scholars listening to this can uh, correct me, but I believe that Stephen Dedalus was like quite explicitly a Joyce self insert character. That's fantastic. Um, so the reference or the the irony maybe to joyce actually um, doing this thing that nabokov sort of excoriated his critics for assuming sure. she was doing.
0: well he does write himself into the books in lolita there's a character named vivian darkbloom you rearrange right. those letters you get vladimir nabokov right um yeah
1: anyway but but not as the the main narrator
0: not as the narrator yeah, yeah. That's, that's um the likeness the unrecognized likeness justification of a likeness uh, I
1: I do think those are references to something, but I'm not quite. I, they almost have well to be. He's enough to...
0: Nabokov is not one to throw away a line. Yeah. Um. Only the blind do not kill. An answer to critics. <laughs> the poet and the rabble. Now um, I know
1: I know of several writers who have written pieces to the effect of an answer to critics. Okay. I don't know if this is anything specific. Um. And the connection I'm making is almost certainly not anything but. Um, only the blind do not kill, like, rhythmically matches with, like, the postman always rings twice. Oh. And the only reason I bring that up is because that's a classic, like, Hollywood pulp take on an insurance fraud crime that mm. goes wrong. Um, so that could be something I, I kind of doubt. Like, that feels like a reach. Um, mm-hmm. Partly considering that none of the words in the two titles are the same. But Right, right. Uh, you know, it could be a, a reach to, like, that format of of, like, you know noir films about, yeah. about insurance fraud which again you know this this book is is written you know 65 66 and ostensibly um, is insurance fraud,
0: fraud yeah and
1: postman <laughs> always rings twice i want to say it was like 48 or 49 sure so it you know there could be something there but i'm, I'm certainly not willing to there, die on this hill
0: no they they might be two branches of the same tree Yeah, um, exactly if not directly um related yeah uh yeah. Anyway, uh so that's that's all to say. There's a lot going on here and Oh yeah. Um what do you I mean, do you d I don't wanna end on a do you agree with Nabokov here? Um does Herman never get out of hell and while well, Humbert gets that uh parole
1: to wander one green lane of paradise once a year. Um to me, I wonder, and this would would be a very like mid twentieth century sensibility that would go along with some of his uh, Hermann's pontifications about you know atheism and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if uh, Nabokov is is somewhat implying that Hermann creates his own hell, ah. um, and that the hell that he creates. Is self-contained and is solipsistic, and he's trapped himself in it. Yeah, and therefore, and, and that doesn't exclude, you know, an outside power, or a higher power, but it it implies that partly through his own doing, Hermann is in a hell that's much more inescapable than like uh-huh. the hell that that you know Humbert maybe jumps into but but doesn't create or something like that i don't know if that
0: which you could also argue that perhaps uh humbert's punishment is worse because he gets to see what he's missing out on yeah 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 um yeah (laughs) uh yeah um okay this then um brings us to the end of our discussion of despair by vladimir nabokov uh ethan We've just come through four episodes, and neither Neither of us us broke a
1: rule. Which means we broke a rule. We both both did. Both broke
0: a rule. Uh, I'm going to give you the right to punish me first as the guest.
1: So, proceed. (laughs) Alright. In a section I'm almost certainly going to loosely edit, because I didn't prepare for this in a sort of timely manner. I did write a couple ideas down. Oh, good. Okay. Nope. I, I know what we got here. Okay. Uh, do you happen to have any copy of Hamlet, Hamlet? Yes. If you happen to have two, that would be okay. ideal, but if you don't, I can... Two copies. Oh my gosh. How could I have doubted you? Uh, Alright, so please head to... Is it Act 2, Scene 1? No. What's to be or not to be? Act 2, Scene 2? Two? 2, Scene 2. Thank you. Um. Alright. So. Uh, here's what we're going to do, and I adapted this idea from... Uh, some books we read for a different podcast on the Tapestry Radio Network, uh, the Freddy the Pig books.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in the Freddy the Pig books, uh, we've read four of them so far, officially, and I believe all four of them have the trope of, um, the, at some point, as like a B-plot or even a C-plot, they discover two robbers, and like... Mm-hmm. The, the adventure of the book or, or, or part of the course of the, the quest of the book is to bring these two robbers to justice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Walter R. Brooks, the author of the, the Freddy the Pig series, um, for full context, uh, is very good at, like, he always includes a scene with the two robbers. Um, and off, I, Maybe they're called burglars, but, like, robbers is, is about the level of discourse that we're at. Um, and they, uh, he, he usually just gives some scene to like set the, the tone of their dastardliness. Mm -hmm. Um, and in one of those books, I, I do forget which one right off the cuff, but the, the good guys, the good guy talking animals of these books, um, are, are meandering through the woods. They come upon these two men who are clearly burglars, um, and having talked about, some of their burglar plans, they uh, do proceed to have a musical race in which they take a single song. Mm-hmm. Are you remembering this? Yep, yep. Uh, and they... I, I want to say one of them sings and one of them plays the piano, but the point is to go through the same set of notes, the same like sheet music... Um, yes. And race each other to, to the, the end. end of the sheet mm-hmm. music. Yep. So what we're going to do here... Oh my goodness. It is uh, Act 3, Scene 1, I was mistaken. Oh my gosh, how did I not... I had the scene right initially. Yeah. Um. So what we're going to do here is race from... Uh. Okay, and it's line 57, 56 in... yeah. Copy you've given me. We're going to race from "To be or not to be," down to uh, "Nymph and thy orisons be all my sins remembered," and we're going to try to beat each other to the end. Oh of the my goodness!
0: Line. Okay, here we go. All right, are you
1: so yep. fair play? Are you you know where where your text is located? Yep, I've got it. All right. Uh, I guess I'm gonna just say three, two, one, and then we're off. All right. Three, two one to be or not to be, to be that, that is the question whether it is noble in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against
0: the sea of troubles and by opposing and then to die to sleep is, no more, that, no more no the, the, to say we the end the pain thousand natural shocks of flesh is to to the constipation of to die to
1: sleep to for in that sleep of death what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause there's respect that makes calamity of so long life for who would bear the wisdom of time that the person's wrong and proud man's the pains of despised love the laws delay the insolence of the vice
2: and
0: the spurns of the patient
1: merit
2: unworthy takes when he himself might disquiet. Is is with a bear with a bodkin, who would fartle as to bear. run to sweat in <laughs> our real life,
0: but that the dread of something after that, the end of the country from whose born, no traveler returns, puzzles the world, it makes us rather bear those elves we have, and fly to others that we know not of, thus conscience does t- make cowards of us all, and thus the native hue of resolution is sickly dark with the house of thought, and the enterprises of great pith and movement with others. regard to their currents, turn awry, and lose the name of action, soft you know, if the fair Ophelia nymph, and thy orisons be all my sins remembered.
1: <sighs> Nicely done. I, uh, <laughs> I stumbled coming around the make us rather bear those ills we have, and collapsed under <laughs> them fly to others we know not of. Uh, oh, and so you great, did win, man. as only befits uh, Bethany Lutheran College's <laughs> one and only Hamlet. Um, I
0: don't think I am the one and only Hamlet. I think they've done it before.
1: Have they really? Yeah. Oh, well, you're you're the only recent one. So okay, all right, counting it. Um.
0: Oh good. Well, that was so good. I'm going to let that stand for your punishment too. I think that <laughs> hurt you, too. So <laughs> there you go.
1: Is that just because you didn't have ideas or want to come up with? No, that? no, I, I
0: had yeah. ideas, but that's better than than any ideas I had. So I'll, I'll save mine for another day. Excellent. Um, so yes, that uh, that's that's very good. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's like our fallback twin
1: punishment. We have to race on a, on a speech. Yeah, you're right. Because that would that would work. Punish like, us both, man yeah that too I'm, I'm now considering a race through uh an irish airman force death sure <laughs> though there's oh. obviously plenty of other shakespeare monologues oh yeah also i mean
0: any monologue any great poem the, yeah the the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald
1: his last, we'll that <laughs> his
0: last duchess yes oh or my man. last duchess Is that my one? last duchess my here. last duchess yeah yeah that's right <laughs> All right, Ethan, um, now that we have drunk this uh, Lefroy single Isla Single Malt Scotch Whiskey for each 10 years, would you please give it your rating from One to Sky 5 stars? Oh, a solid four and a half. Mm.
1: Um, I, yeah, I mean, I love this, this Scotch. I love the, you know, it's, it's often considered sort of the ultimate, like, smoky, peaty mm-hmm. expression. Um, and I... I'm not claiming to be enough of an expert to know the answer to this, but I don't know if my tastes have changed or if hmm. occasionally, you know, sometimes a, a scotch will, they'll reformulate it or, or sure. something. Um, the When I, when I bought the old Pultney for our last, uh, our last scotch, uh, the, the guy at the store I bought it at told me that they're, they've come up with a new bottle and like the ones in the new bottle, he swears taste different from the, ah. the old bottling so that does happen sure but it could just be that i've you know it's been it's probably been three or four years since i tasted Lafrey. i certainly have both on and off this podcast you know had a lot more scotch since then you're right um so it, it was a little bit less challenging than i remember it mm-hmm. uh and i always liked the challenge in the little 10 um but that said it does have you know it has a wonderful peat peatiness a a wonderful smokiness Mm -hmm. it still certainly is not a beginner's scotch if you're you know if you're uncertain if if you're just coming off bourbon if you uh you know if you want like a an introduction that won't beat you over the head in some ways Mm -hmm. um it's it's not for you but like as far as having a lot of the things I love in scotch, especially that peatiness and the the smokiness, um, there's like a, there's almost a mineral-y quality. Oh, sure. um, That I hadn't, I don't remember ever noticing before. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it just, it just tastes like, you know, a a bon, and and there's, and there's certainly like a sea, a sea breeze, a, a sea, you know, a sea saltiness to it. Um, but to me it just tastes like a, a bonfire on a on a beach you know in yeah. off the ocean but in the north where it's it's cool if not cold mm-hmm. um and you know some people would not would not like some or all of those elements uh but to me that's that's like that's kind of heaven mm-hmm. um but I don't know, you know i i only rate it four and a half out of out of five because i feel like there's something else that could happen and i don't know if it's yep. like an older expression of this scotch or or something else that i'm looking for but but you know there's 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 certainly room to explore after sure. this one uh
0: i'm i'm going just a little less than you i'm giving it a four sure four out of five um it's been a while since i've had it uh but i i'm with you there something is missing uh, I, I don't know if I remember it being more complex um, or there being more depth to it. It just felt like it fell a little flat after that initial intensity. The finish is not as strong as, as I maybe expected it to. Yeah. Maybe that's a problem with my perception that I've built this uh, image of Lafroy up in my head. But at the same time, like I remember um, I had a discussion with someone a while ago that we found we had a, a similar love for Scotch and, um, uh, her perspective was that Lefroy was the best. And I was like, ah, it's, it's good. Yeah. Uh, it's not the best. It's good. Um, but I, you know, was facing that, uh, argument facing that, that sounds more intense yeah. than it was. Um, but like, uh, or you just were like
1: re-evaluating yeah, that, that perception. Yeah. Um, and again, like 10 year old Scotch is often not the greatest mm-hmm. single model, like, you A lot of the, the, like, common, you know, line or whatever is, like, a 12-year-old is, like, yes. your minimum for, like, a really f- nice, fine right single malt. So, like, it's always been interesting that LaFroy 10 has as much body and well, depth as it does. I know, they had a huge
0: is, advertising campaign a while ago that, um, you know, was something like a lot of opinions, one yeah. single, one LeFroy, yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that, which, like... That's that's really smart advertising for them. Yeah, um, but yeah, maybe maybe an older Lefroy. That's, is that's what I'm saying.
1: Like, I would, I would, and and I'm sure it would be, you know, um, stretch the budget a bit or yeah. more than a bit. But I would love to try a 15 or a, an mm-hmm. 18 or a 21 year old expression of this exact yeah, yeah. whiskey, like because I bet it would get some more complexity. I, it it certainly would. Yeah, and sometimes you know those things change and like. Yeah, smoke goes away or, or other stuff goes away too. But well, what you I'd never know year interested. to year
0: when it was when it was casked and and when it was right. bottled and stuff like any any version that you get could be very different. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, what about the book, Ethan?
1: Despair by Vladimir Nabokov. Buy, borrow, forget about it. Um, I think I'm gonna come down on a solid borrow on this okay. one. Uh, I don't think. I just don't think it's essential reading uh. for everybody. In the way that, like, if I'm gonna say bye about a book, mm. I, I prefer something to be, um, I guess my and you know this is not a not a living author mm-hmm. either, and and um, I don't think his estate is probably doing too badly. Um, True. True. So so my my if I were you know being asked by someone what to do about this book. I'd say get it from the library and read it through once. And if you have the urge to read it through again, uh, buy it and do that. Yeah. Um, because I'm certainly glad I own this. I, I think I, I would have bought it under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think it's one to try out before you, before you buy.
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm coming down on a borrow here as well. Um, I was leaning between buy and borrow, but, sure. you know, that point about it being essential is, is kind of where I'm where I'm at with it, too. I, I didn't necessarily think about it in that term. But, yeah, it's, it, it's not the most important work of Nabokov's. You could own it if you want to. Start by borrowing it. Maybe borrow it a few times, read it over a few times, and maybe eventually your librarian will just gift it to you like a <laughs> bookseller in Beauty and the Beast
1: um yeah <laughs> i think if you're interested in certain traditions yeah or, or uh, well that's just types it. of literature um if you're in- really interested in literary gamesmanship if yes. like you know lolita and like gene Wolfe and mm-hmm. um some some uh you know p- uh, authors like that if that's really what trips your trigger right that, if you're that sort of person, I just skip straight to buy right. I'd just say buy it, read it once, mark it up and then mm-hmm. read it again. but I, I I do I do think there
0: is a lot to be gained by multiple readings. We discussed several different things uh, yeah. here and I, I want it known. I didn't lose, but I could have gone at length about vampires. Wait, really? I, I wrote about it in the margins all over the place but i didn't say anything um so that's
1: <laughs> such a good trap
0: i know um so yeah there's there's a lot here there's a lot a lot here yeah um but start with borrowing it um and then maybe buy if you if you feel so inclined uh what about the pairing between lefroy 10 years and despair ethan
1: um i'm gonna say a perfect match uh one of the things about about Lafroy even you know even with what I was uh, uh, talking about drawback wise I guess in the evaluation portion, one of the things is that it's like there is a lot going on no matter what. Oh, yeah and it you know even from like sip to sip almost it it changes it's it's somewhat um, um capricious almost there's you know there's there's different things going on like, You can get a sip that's like really heavy on the smoke, and then you can follow it up with a sip that it 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 doesn't Mm -hmm. taste like mineral water, but there's like more of that than about Mm -hmm. than there is about the smoke. So it's it's just like, um, you know, and that's why it's still such a high rating for me. Is there's there's so much going on, yeah. Uh, and it's sort of in a similar way to this book. You can view it as you know a a crime novel, a mystery novel, a a literary gamesmanship novel, or a Tristram Shandy <laughs> rewrite. Yep. You know, it's, it's a similar thing. Um, so I, I think in, in that sense, that the mm-hmm. the two sort of paralleled each other quite nicely. I, I'm also going to say a perfect
0: match, and I think part of it has to do with the punchiness of Lefroy, and mm-hmm. um, you know that that intense smoke. That that's something that Lefroy has going for it is an intensity with the smoke. Yeah, um, which I think will aid you in clear thinking even as it addles your senses um <laughs> as you read this book which is just exactly what you want yeah so yeah yeah absolutely. i'll leave it at that i like that um all right so next time gentle listener we are going to be starting into our annual mongo book uh and i'm not sure exactly how that term mongo book came about but uh, that's was, what we're
1: leaning into it was you was it me that's literally all i know you were the first right, one i was the one who did it and then I, I mean, I picked right up on it and didn't question it at all until well, just now when you chose to, but it's what it is.
0: Um, so, our, our our Mongo book for the summer of 2021,
1: uh, Ethan, would you like to tell the gentle listener what it is? Oh, is that because you think that maybe I can pronounce the name of the author and you didn't bring <laughs> Darn your it Darn it, you caught me. Here? Uh, well, it's okay because I did just uh, Google it. Google it, yes. Um, so the our manga book for 2021 is i am a cat um which is a novel by natsumi Sosiki? soseki soseki i want to say like soski soski um i am terrific at pronouncing japanese names right uh so yeah this won't be a disaster at all um it's a. It was originally published in 1906. Mm-hmm. Um, not published in English until uh, 1972. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a reading time of 10 hours and 38 minutes, according <laughs> to the website readinglength.com. Fan, and that's everything I know from googling it real quick and reading the first like set of results. All right, I so... can tell you its ratings on various sites, but that's cheap. <laughs> sure. Um, that that is cheap. <laughs> uh this actually, Michael, do you wanna do you wanna talk about why this book is here it's, now?
0: Yes, it's coming out of um our last Mongo book, which was um the The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy Gentleman by Lawrence Stern. Uh that I Am a Cat by natsume Natsume Soski. Uh, or soski Natsume, depending on yeah I also don't how know it's written I think how I Japanese think the names s work. I think the soski is the 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 surname is the the family name so sure I, you might I have to they, look under both in your bookstore depending on how they shelve it
1: <laughs> yeah because in Japan sometimes they're flipped yeah well, say, right it is compared to in in English yeah um,
0: um, yeah anyway um, it is based on on tristram shandy in some sense or inspired by tristram shandy yeah uh but the narrator and the main character is as the title suggests a cat
1: yeah i mean it's a pretty simple premise right because it's like the life and opinions of tristram shandy if it was written by a cat, a cat. in late 19th century japan. japan yes um so like i don't understand what would be complicated
0: what's what's what's, what's so hard not about to that? get yeah. yeah there you go so read along with that gentle listener uh give us your feedback on that book and all our books uh in the ta- contact section of tapestryradio.org put scotch talk in the subject line find us on twitter at room with scotch or find us on facebook in the tapestry radio tap house request to join that group and we will let you in uh unless you're a vampire ha i said it um uh.
1: Uh, you lose, you have to do a Hamlet race with me in the past. But, no, I don't, because it didn't... Okay. In the past... Depends I... on how time works. Exactly, okay. that's what I'm saying. Alright. Uh, Ethan, where can they find you? I am at Bjartlett on Twitter. That's B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. I have a webcomic that I write the script for called Pin Porter Girl Detective. Google that phrase, uh, mm-hmm. you'll find it. It's good, other than the words, but... <laughs>
0: You have to say that, because you're Midwestern. Exactly. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. And until next time, gentle listener, just remember, it's our party, and we'll cry if we can't love ourselves enough.